You are listening to Keenan Live, where I'm going to be talking to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful people who do things that others just can't or won't. Hey, what's going on, peeps? What is happening? Look at, I am super pumped about today's show because in what's going on between Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration on all sides. In fact, there are even sides I don't even know what to do with right now. But so I met a man about two weeks ago. His name, I guess it's more than that, but a month ago. His name is Derek Abel. He is the police chief of the Manhattan Police Department. And not only is a police chief, but he's a brother born and raised in Inglewood. So if there's anybody who has a perspective about all of this, it's going to be my boy, DA. So I thought there was nobody, nobody better to come on to Keenan Live when we talk to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful than Chief Derek Abel. So folks, with that, I want to introduce my man, Derek Abel. Thank you, brother, for coming on. Thank you for having me, Keenan. Appreciate it. Great opportunity to share with people out there. And, uh, and I thank you for allowing me the opportunity. Come on, dude. Look, you made it easy, whether you recognize it or not. You made it easy because here's the deal. I was doing a lot, right, during the Manhattan Beach um, uh, protest, B- BML right. protest, right? Now, let's keep it real. It is Manhattan Beach, okay? Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of bubble. But y- your police men or police – the, the, the police – we're behind this this caution tape, but you were on the other side in the middle of COVID, right. shaking people's hands, talking to them, engaging with them, and you were just so approachable. And I was like, "See, this is how it's done." And then we started talking. Of course, I was like, "I like this cat." So <laughs> you just kick it up. Like, how do you how do you do that? Why decide to walk me through that? So you know when you have. Uh an instance like that where you have people that are uh, that want to voice their opinions and you have so much energy uh, out there and keep in mind this all started with some young kids that uh, from the area uh, young black man and a, and a young Latino lady young lady that uh, that wanted to go out and, and demonstrate and, and voice their opinions and share some of their concerns and so as I met with them and I'll tell you that story how that happened the day before but when you have that uh, you got to allow people to, to go out there and share, especially young people like that, man. We don't we don't see that often. And I think uh, I was intrigued by them. I'm a coach also. I coach football. So when I see young people stepping up with that leadership, uh, you have to embrace it and encourage it and more importantly, um, guide it. And so that was my opportunity, man, to go out there and share with people. And, talk. and that's who I am, Keenan. I, I do that no matter whether I'm at work, at home, uh, coaching, what have you. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy, man, who embraces everybody, hugs you. I love you and, and try to share and pay it forward in any uh, any opportunity I get, man. So that's who I am. Well, dude, that was evident. That was absolutely evident. So I, also to tell who you are, folks, listen up. And then I'm, we're going to get into some heavy, deep shit because just y'all know who I am. And, and Eric, Derek, you didn't know me beforehand, so don't right. be offended by anything, but I just go at it hard, right? Right. Folks, uh, because of the spike in COVID, L.A. County and the mayor of L.A. basically just closed down the beaches and they closed down the walkways to the beaches and the access to the beaches and the bars and all this shit's going down. It was just the last announced 17 hours ago. Well, as you can imagine, it's now Derek's job to enforce that shit. So he's been in meetings all morning <clears throat> and he's trying to figure out all of this. And he had this schedule and he kind of said, what do you think? He's like, all right, just let's do it. Let's just do it. We made a commitment. This is what he said. We made a commitment. So we're going to do it. So he is up to his eyeballs. And all this shit, and he's taking the time. That just speaks to the character of the man. I can't thank you enough, dog. And people understand what you do, what you're doing for us right now. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It's all good, man. All right, so let's just jump right into it, dude. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep bouncing back from angles. Police, okay. black lies, police, and then something in the middle, right? <clears throat> when someone says all black, I mean, what do you think about the Black Lives Movement? Let's start there. What do you think about the Black Lives Movement? So let me just say this, man. Uh, you and I, we've been black all our lives. And, and so it's just not, this didn't just happen uh, in terms of people's feelings and, and what they've been uh, experiencing throughout life. Uh, again, my parents come from the South, man. So uh, I grew up hearing a, a lot of stories and, and obviously experiencing that 
uh, on a different level. And so you carry that with you. Um, more importantly, you're proud of the fact that your your parents have shared some some of that and, uh, and you need to somehow embrace it. So as I see this happening today, no matter what we call it, uh, you know, minorities out there have experienced things that others haven't. And so all of this is coming to the forefront over the years, decades uh, of issues that we've been facing. And it just so happens an instance that occurred over, you know, uh, in Minneapolis, obviously brought it to the forefront more so than ever before. And, uh, but it requires all of us now to talk, to come to the table, to try to bring about some solutions uh, as opposed to just talking. Uh, we got to come up with some uh, plans behind that and actions behind it. Uh, but it's not just anger. You, you got to figure out what to do moving forward. And, uh, and that's why you and I, all of us are here, man. We are in a, an era right now where we're a part of this. We can't, we have to embrace it. We can't walk away from it. And if you're a leader out there, uh, then I expect you to step up and, and participate in some way. Whatever value you have, you should be sharing uh, in this effort to make it better for everyone, whether it's black lives, Latino lives, uh, any other minorities out there who have shared in this struggle, so to speak, uh, you know, come and help, help out in that effort. And I think that's why as leaders, we all have a responsibility. So how do you completely agree? Completely agree. I think there's too much finger pointing on who's supposed to fix it. And, and we can talk about that in a minute. I did a video on that where I went off on that. I went off on brothers. I went off on white folks. I went off on police. I was like, I'm tired of everybody playing victim. And someone's every someone else's fault. But so how do you respond? But yet, how do you feel when someone says black lives matter and someone responds with all lives matter? Well, that actually happened out there, right? When we were at this demonstration, and uh, I think we need to respect everybody's feelings because we all come from different walks of life. And you as a person not of color may not know that or have never experienced that. So respect that, uh, respect everyone's opinion, their experiences that they've had that have led up to this point, some good, some really not good. Uh, and so for me, the experiences that I've had throughout life, I carry that with me. Uh, believe me, but I don't allow it to hang on my sleeve and find a way uh, to move forward and keep on being positive and figure out ways uh, to solve and, and bring solutions to the table. But whether it's all lives or black lives, bottom line is your experiences matter. And we shouldn't forget that. And I think people uh, recognize that today. I think even more so than ever I'm seeing. Uh, you and I saw people out there from all walks of life, man. And I haven't seen that in the past. And uh, mm -hmm. so it brought a little bit of a uh, uh, you know, positive uh, to the situation where I thought, okay, uh, it, it sounds like more people are involved. It's not just black people, Latino people, or, or others demonstrating of minorities. It's everybody out there. Oh, no, no, white folks. Let's keep it real. I mean, look, I understand. I'm going to interpret you sometimes because you're a cop and you can't say the wrong thing. Right. right? But I'll interpret you. There were more white people out there. I was like, damn, wait. Like, it felt, it felt good. Right. right? Like, it was oh. encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, it felt good. It kept it kept reminding me of look. I, I was born in 1968. How, when were you? How old are you? 65, man. Oh, Five, you were good. You were good. <laughs> right. So you and I, what I say to people, and I don't even know if you've ever thought about this. I say this to a lot of brothers and sisters, and they're like, "Oh my god, I never thought about it like that." And white people never thought about it. But you and I are the very first generation of Black Americans who were born with all their rights. Yeah. That's true. That's a right? good like, point. Most people have never really thought through that, right? And I'm not some old man on a porch trying to get through the last three days, right. Life, right? Like, I'm only 52 years old. You're only 56, 55, right? Right, so, right. So, the, and we're the first group of people, Black Americans in this country, born with all their rights. That's, That's deep. crazy. Yeah. Right? So, when I saw that with all those, with all the white people, I was like, this reminds me not that I was there, but can remember reading and studying about 19, I think it was like uh, 63 or 62 when uh, when Alabama, all that stuff on Alabama was on TV and, and people up north like, okay, wait, this has to change, right? From it, Alabama. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it felt like that. Like finally people are waking up and saying, oh, this has to change. Right. Yeah, it was a, it was an awakening, I think, for everyone. And, uh, and if it took this moment, and keep in mind, we've been dealing with COVID. People are struggling to begin with, all walks of life. And when you have that and people are at rock bottom and something happens like that, man, all emotions come out, everything comes out. And so uh, you can s talk about a silver lining uh, in terms of all of us coming together, finally, uh, where people recognize that we need to do something about this issue of race in our country. And, uh, and so, you know, don't take it for granted. 
uh, if there's an opportunity for us all to come to the table and, and really talk this through and recognize uh, that you know we do have some issues in our country, now is the time. Um, don't let it pass us by and let's not be that generation that didn't do something about it. So when you talk about us being, uh, our generation being the first to, uh, with all the laws in place to allow us uh, more so than anyone prior to us, what are we doing with that? What have we done with that opportunity? And what will our legacy be in terms of generations? And, and, and what are we prepared to do now moving forward is even the bigger question. When you say we, who do you mean by the we? All of us, man, black people, Latinos, Hispanic, uh, all walks of life. I think all of us need to come to the table and, and have that conversation, whether it's about race, implicit biases, uh, a variety of things uh, that we have all sort of, nobody's, nobody wants to talk about. It seems like we're uncomfortable having those conversations, whether it's in the workplace, our neighborhoods, um, or, you know, in our professions, whatever it might be. I think those are some of the conversations that people try to stay away from. I think this brought it to the forefront. And so even in my community, uh, I'm prepared to have that conversation. And I hope others are as well. Uh, but I think it's not just the police department. It's all fronts with, you know, the schools, uh, your churches, the business community, the corporations here, your neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. uh, we should all be talking about it or at least come to the table at, with those different elements to have those conversations and talk about how we move forward and recognize that we do have uh, some issues and, and not just put it under the table, so to speak, because now is the time. So do you feel that there are people who just are just denying this concept of racism and aren't coming to the table because they don't think it's a problem to fix? I, I think if you lived a life uh, where you don't either understand it, you've never experienced it, you know nothing about it, it's very easy to, to ignore it, uh, walk away from it or feel uncomfortable not to even discuss it. Uh, and, and so those are the times where you have to uh, educate people and share with them uh, either our experiences, what we've been through, uh, how we can all come together and, and work through it. It's not just to us, it's all of us. We, we all ex experience, in my opinion, because if we feel, if we are having problems uh, in our communities, in our uh, cities, states, country for that matter, and others ignore that, eventually, something is going to happen in a negative way and we're butting heads by ignoring each other. You not hearing me only makes me more angry, uh, but you ignoring it and not paying attention should, should bring some concern to yourself. You know, what am I not hearing? What am I not recognizing? But if you've never experienced it, you don't know what you don't know. And that's part of the problem. Dude, amen. I, I should have sent it to you ahead of time. I didn't because, well, I knew you were busy, but I'm going to send you a video I did a while back. I called it willful ignorance. Yeah. And I believe all three sides, I think it's a three-headed monster, we're going to get into that, are being willfully ignorant at some level, right? So I think the white community, not all, so please folks don't get into this bullshit, oh, all, all, but too many in the white community are arguing and denying that this thing is really a problem and trying to say it's not racism and trying to get to other things to prove inequity. You know what I'm saying? You've seen it, right? Oh, it's not that it's racist, it's just this and it's just that. And then they, they don't want to do the homework. They don't want to learn what's happening, so they go in willfully ignorant. Now, black folks, we're just the same in a lot of ways, right? All of this that's happened is true. But if we were to take the time to figure out what haven't we done as a community right. to take advantage of that 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 um, Equal Rights, uh, Equal uh, Voting Rights Act, and, and affirmative action, and, 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 right? right? What have we as a community done? And so we're not even doing our own research in Will ignorance. I mean, I don't know, Derek, but I go to the average brother or sister. I'm like, who's Ken Chenault? And they're like, I have no idea. right? I go, who's Ursula Burns? Like, I have no idea. But yet these people, black women and men, run Fortune 500 companies, right? And we don't know. And then I say, you know, and then the police. I say the same with police. Oh, it's just a few bad apples. No, it's can we stop with that? Like, if one at bad apple is allowed to do it, no one says anything. Then as far as I'm concerned, every single person who knew is a bad apple too. So, and they don't want to dig in. So, I mean, how do we get people to own their own shit? I think that's part of the problem is uh, like you said, you're in a comfort zone, you're complicit, you're either action oriented or you're complicit. And part of that complicit is being comfortable uh, with not taking any action at all because either life is good for you right then 
or maybe you don't have the courage to step up and, and participate in that. So when you talk about 64 and 65, 63, 64 and 1965, think about the paths that were laid for us, for all of us, for that matter. And the question you just asked is, what have we done with that since then uh, to better uh, the situations for all of us? Um, and not just take a piece of the pie and, and enjoy some of the successes that you've had, uh, but what have you done to pay it forward in some way that sacrificed self? I always talk about that, sacrificing self for the sake of others, man. We all should sacrifice a piece of us because if it wasn't for those before us, we wouldn't be here today anyway. So you, you have to figure out a way to share in the cause of making our lives bat better and, uh, and minorities uh, should share in that conversation in a better way than just talk, man. And uh, truth, yeah, truth. truth. We, we, you and I could get into a whole conversation right. about the black community and how we choose to they leave and don't come back. And the ones who are successful are cut out and anti intellectualism, right. and how we just we, we white people think nerds was a bad thing in black community. You study and read, and they really get into your ass. So, I mean, <laughs> we, we spend hours on that. So, on our own issues, maybe someday we'll do a second one on that. Right. <laughs> but, um, talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I can already see, you can already see black folks going off on us because we're even having the gall to challenge some of our decisions, right? I mean, right. God forbid. Um, okay, so talk to me about this. What do you think, as a as the chief of police, when you hear, no, what do you think about the cry for police defunding? Uh, you know what, I when you hear those type of things and, and realize this is not the first time, I always talk to people about cyclical events and we've had a lot of events throughout our history, man, that, that have spoken the same uh, language. And so this is not the first time that's happened. But when you do hear that, you have to you have to listen to the words. You have to understand the bigger picture of why people are saying that. And obviously, there's frustration and anger in communities because they, they feel like they're not getting what they want. And if the police, if, if policing is all we're doing in those communities, if this is what they're feeling, and we're not utilizing funds to address some of the other socioeconomics, or the plight of the, the youth in the communities, uh, jobs and, and so on and so forth. If people feel that those are not being addressed and the, the monies are going towards uh, policing and all we're doing every day is policing and, uh, and, and the turnover is arrest and, and citations and, and, and oversight and enforcement and things of that nature, then you're gonna have that argument. You're gonna have people angry uh, if there's balance in your community and you have really brought to the, to the table all those elements that I mentioned earlier about schools and businesses and corporations, churches and what have you, when you bring all to the table, including law enforcement, and there's a true balance in that, uh, I don't think you have that conversation about de defunding, so to speak. But I think each community, each respective state, each city has to take a look itself to ask that question. Are you balanced in that approach? And if you're not, where are we struggling and why are people saying that? They're saying it for a reason. So, you know, listen, uh, does, does it mean that you need to defund the police? No, we all know that. We still have to have uh, police in our respective communities to protect and serve and, and provide uh, people with the quality of life that they expect. But beyond that, what else are we doing in those communities that's bringing about that question of defunding? So. Valid questions out there with people that are, are talking. Don't not listen to them. The question is, how do we balance that and, and really calm heads, uh, come to the table and, and really have some true conversations about where the funds are going, what actions are being taken in those respective communities? Okay, so what have you done? I'm going to keep going here. So <laughs> what have you done to build? First, would you mind describing the culture that you think you've built in the Manhattan Police Department over how long you've been the chief now? Uh, two and a half years, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, they really like you. For those who don't know, we're not Manhattan Beach. The firemen, I won't make you get into this, but I want to be careful for you. But the chief of uh, the fire chief, I guess, said some insensitive, enough insensitive shit that he got his ass fired. And they put Derek over the fire department until they find a new fire chief. So they clearly like what you're doing. They clearly have mad respect for you, which I do. Like I told you, you were a beacon. Like you stood out like a shining star that afternoon. Like you just, you, you couldn't miss you, right? So what have you done to build, describe the culture that you've built at the Manhattan Police Department and then how have you done it? So let me say this before I say that, man, I'm very humbled uh, by any opportunities that I've had throughout life. And uh, just so people know, I fall short of the glory of God every day. And uh, 
and I think others understand where I'm coming from. So I don't put myself on a pedestal. Uh, I recognize that I am humble and I show humiliation and I and I show people my shortcomings and I share that with them. And I don't try to uh, make myself out to be some something other than what I am. And that's I'm just a man and I'm trying to help in, in whatever way I can. So to answer the question about what I expect in, in terms of my philosophy and, and where I come from, people know and I'll give you a very simple statement, but it's for me, it's very deep. It's treating others the way you would expect to be treated. That's the way I was raised. Uh, in a God-fearing household. And so your upbringing is a part of that. So when I am recruiting candidates, uh, trying to build my organization um, in the background processes are taking place out there, I look beyond the obvious, man. We can all fill out applications. Uh, we can come in with people talking about recommendations for people and what they've done. But sitting down with candidates and getting deep like we are right now and talking to them about life uh, to me, is far more important uh, than what somebody's written on a piece of paper. And part of that is what struggles have you had? Um, have you had some adversity in life that you've had to struggle through? Has God brought you down to your knees in some way where you realize that it's important to give back to others and it's not just about you? So if you truly want to serve in my department and you've raised that right hand and swore not only to uphold the law, but protect people, their property and liberty, uh, you truly have to mean it. And so we have some deep conversations. And one of the questions that I ask my candidates without getting into so many details, and I'm giving some away for these candidates is, <laughs> right? If somebody had a chance to, to record you for a 24 hour period where you weren't being watched, what would that video or what would that recording say about you as a person in your character? And would your family, would the members of this department and this community be proud of what they would see on that recording or would there be questions about what you say when nobody's watching and what you do? Mm -hmm. And so you get some funny looks from the candidates when I say that. And, and part of my ending to that is, you know, it's a rhetorical question to some degree, but it is uh, directed at them. And, you know, what I expect them to think about is who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And what you say is what you should mean. You practice what you preach. And when you're out there doing what you're doing, are we going to find that that is not the true you? Because I don't want that person coming into my department faking it, and then we find out that they're, you know, they're different or something uh, later on. So part of the the strategy to building a, a workforce that emulates what you believe in is really delving into the individuals that you hire from the very beginning. Now, those individuals that currently work for your organizations, they they actually watch to see do you practice what you preach, and so. Yeah around here and people know me that not only do I practice what I preach, but I show them my failures and my successes throughout. And, and what I try to teach them is don't fake it. Don't try to be something that you're not. If you have a shortcoming or your skill set that you're lacking in some area, work on it. Work with somebody. Don't beat up people. Don't jump on people because you find a weakness. Help each other and, and find a way to make us better. When you talk about officers on the street right now and de-escalating and trying to improve conditions or, or situations that are involved in, we all know that some are better than others. That Whether it's in the police department or another corporation uh, uh, or schools or wherever it may be, people are different and, and their makeup is different. With that said, what role models do you have within the organizations to emulate what you want? And it starts with me. So if I'm not emulating and I'm You're talking about- the best role model. You're the right? best role model, yeah. Well, well, but if you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and people see you doing something different than what you say, then your words mean nothing. And so your philosophy, your expectations, your policies can go by the wayside. We can all have policies and we're talking about that right now. But if your foundation of your organization and your philosophy and what you stand for is not emulated by your leadership, then the rest of the policies and all the, you know, the disciplinary and, and all that type of stuff is really not going to matter because you've broken down somewhere within your organization where people feel uh, that it's okay to do a, a negative thing or a negative action or the behavior that you do not want. It starts at the top, man. And I, and so I, I own that. And I, and I expect that from everyone as a coach, as a football coach out there. It's the same way with the kids I coach. Mm -hmm. uh, what I speak on the football field and what I expect of them, if I expect them to follow me, then I should be able to do some of the things that I am expecting them to do. And I'm talking about character. I'm not talking about actions on the field. Mm -hmm. If I'm not emulating the proper character in front of those kids and in front of people uh, or others when they're not watching, 
then why should I expect it of the kids? And the same thing I expect from the department. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody follows suit, but the leadership around here is held to a higher standard and they expect it uh, to emulate what we expect, what I expect, uh, and so that the youngsters follow suit, so to speak. I don't mean to say youngsters, as if they're, <laughs> you, got, you know yeah, what I'm saying, you. your workforce, so. So yeah. when, when you when you say that, and, and I absolutely, so you bring a whole leadership philosophy to the table to run your organization, and you have right. processes in place that are designed to ensure that those philosophies are executed upon. So when you see something like what went on in Minnesota, or when you see Eric Garner, or you see, um, I think it was Tennessee with Tamir Rice, which, by the way, we'll go have a coffee later, because I still can't get that out of my head. Right. Like, I just still can't believe how a little kid, 12 years old, gets shot before a question is even asked. Like, mm. I can't. And, and then people try to argue, well, he had a gun and it didn't have the arms piece. No, just no, just no, no. But anyways, I digress. Right. right. So okay. When you see all of these things happen in these other police departments, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but we, do you think the blue line, thin blue line really exists and we don't have good leadership across too many organizations? Can't say all, but too many. Yeah, I think when you see things like that, we saw in Minneapolis, and I think anybody can attest to that, looking at that. Uh, not only did it break my heart, man, it, it, it just... Uh, it saddened me to think that at this time in 2020 that we think that that's acceptable. Take the law enforcement out of it as a human being. Right. We think that that is acceptable uh, to take that type of action. And, and for me, that was a sad moment because uh, as we're talking about law enforcement and wearing the badge, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing the badge here in California, whether it's in Texas mm -hmm. or whether it's there in Minneapolis, we all wear the badge. And so people see you behind the badge mm -hmm. and they don't separate that from the city of Manhattan Beach versus Minneapolis. Uh, you're all in this, uh, unfortunately. And quite frankly, for uh, if most of us, if not all, uh, it's, we took a step back uh, in terms of people trusting us, uh, the partnerships that we have built, that I have helped to build, that we have helped to build here in this community. Mm. Uh, people look at you different. And, and unfortunately, it means that you got to roll your sleeves up again and you got to figure out a way to ensure that uh, you are not like that, that you can trust us, but it requires us to to talk and, and more importantly, build that trust uh, over again where the damage has been done. And uh, as much as it, it saddens me with that type of thing happening out there, I realize you can walk away and you can quit, uh, just like in football, or you can step up. Two minutes left in the game, uh, fourth down and two, and they need to score, and they're going to throw it your way. Would you rather them throw it away from you and pray to God they go somewhere else, or you want to come in your way? And yeah. for me, uh, that's what Bring I'm about. Bring it my way. Bring it my way. Uh, yep. Because I'm if I can help in the process, I will. So, yeah. Okay. So, good answer, but you didn't answer my question. <laughs> do, you, is, do you believe – in too many. I'm not going to say all or none. I'm not going to get in that discussion. Do you believe in too many orga police organizations, the thin blue line is a real thing, and there is not a culture of police being able to keep them, hold each other accountable for fear of retribution, et cetera, or however you want to define the thin blue line? Yeah. I, you know what? That that has been used a lot in, uh, throughout my career. I really wasn't aware of this, this uh, phrase, the thin blue line. I will tell you, each organization is responsible for self. Whatever you have built within your organization, you own it. Uh, you can talk about some of the large organizations out there and what they're doing and not doing, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is here. My circle of influence is within my organization. So when you talk about leadership, each one of our respective leaderships, our, our organizations has a responsibility with your respective leadership within your own department. And, and I own that uh, with my own people here. Even though I acquired leadership when I became chief, I still own it. And it's up to me to bring about change where I see it, it needs uh, change in terms of the leadership or lack thereof, uh, accountability, a complicit and uh, allowing things to happen where you see a culture start to develop over time. And if you're not paying attention, man, a lot of things can happen within your organization. So I think the onus on, is on each one of our respective organizations out there and people that think that we all are in the same barrel and we all work together and subscribe to the thin, you know, thin blue line, so to speak. Uh, for me, that's not true. Bottom line is 
your organization is your organization. You're responsible for what you have and how you go about that with that culture and making sure that you treat everyone fairly and that you believe that everyone is equal uh, in that respect. Intrinsic equal value uh, is what I say. And the bottom line is if you truly believe in that as an organization and your people subscribe to that, then you serve as a role model. But it doesn't mean that for every other organization out there, you need to hold them accountable. That's that's their respective organizations. And they have a duty and a responsibility to hold their people accountable. Mm-hmm. So someone just we got a question. Someone just asked, do you believe that the looting of the businesses and the destruction and the violence and and I think this person even said Antifa. So Clay, you can imagine where this this, this question is coming from has uh, hurt the positive message or tainted the positive message of Black Lives Matter. So I think some will will take that and and use that to say yes, it has taken away the message. I told the young people, and I told you earlier, I was going to tell you a little bit about them. Yes. I'll quickly tell you about them. Uh, met some uh, athletes downtown that uh, played ball at the school that I coach for. And they uh, were about to walk past me. I was in uniform. I was out there on Manhattan Ave near Manhattan Market. And they said, hey, coach, how you doing? And I didn't recognize them at first, but I looked. I said, oh, wow, these kids, you know, it's been a long time. So we talked and we started communicating, man, over a period of time. And uh, uh, they finally at the very end of our conversation talking about us coming from Inglewood because they grew up in the wood as well. And so we had some great conversation. But I think they felt comfortable enough to say, hey, coach, uh, just so you know, tomorrow, man, we plan on doing a, a demonstration down at the pier. I said, OK. And they said, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, with all this going on right now, do you think that that's the right time? And my comment was what just what you said is if you want people to hear your message and you want to be heard and not have all the noise around it with what we've seen in Santa Monica and some of the other places, L.A. with the looting, uh, will your message get lost in that? And should we wait until a time when things have calmed down and you can actually speak and talk? And so they said, well, I, we appreciate, you know, what you're saying. And uh, and I'll bring that to the uh, the organizers to, to have that conversation. So later on, I get a phone call and they said, well, this young lady, <laughs> she was awesome. She <laughs> said, I appreciate what you have to say, chief. And all your points are valid. But we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now keep in mind these are like my kids man they're younger than my kids but uh-huh. i feel like they're my kids and, and so i'm coaching them more than i'm actually uh talking from a professional standpoint so i said okay um she said well you know i said well how long are you guys talking about doing this and what is your goal behind this so they told me the goals and they want to point out some of the things that they've experienced but uh, more importantly, bring a platform where others can come out and maybe participate and recognize that there is a problem and they want to be at the forefront of that. So I was proud to hear them say that uh, and what they were trying to accomplish. And they said, Chief, we don't want any uh, noise on the outside, looting and all those type of things. And uh, that's why we want you guys out there to support us so that people don't uh, you know so that our safety is 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 there. But more importantly, that we do it together. And I was so proud of them. I said, well, We'll be there with you. We'll make sure that your voices are heard and we'll make sure that our downtown business community understands that we're there to ensure that uh, we will not allow any of that action to take place. And so it worked out, as you said, man, beautiful. But the point behind that is allowing people's message to be heard. Uh, and in some cases, when you go out and it's just anger involved and, and people participate in things that, that are not productive, where you see looting and all of that, the message that you're trying to send is lost in the whole context of what's going on, unfortunately. And uh, in this one, you know, it was a, it was a good situation. It was a, maybe a role model for uh, others to to follow. But uh, I don't take away from what others are trying to send in terms of their message out there. But my question would be, if you're doing that and, and all this stuff, the noise that's happening around it is happening, what are you accomplishing? And And so, again, it goes back to, are we just doing it for the sake of doing it? Are you doing it trying to get something accomplished? And sometimes the noise on the outskirts takes away from that. So let me ask you this. There's two, there's two, there's a two-part question, right? Because we're hitting on some good stuff here. The assumption that I hear you're making, and I think a lot of people make, are that it's a conscious decision. Okay? So it says, hey, I'm, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to go do this. And I believe to, a, to some level, look, this is a concept. I don't decide to do something. Like, oh, I don't realize it. I don't know what I'm doing. But there's the emotional reaction versus the, the I, I'm doing this because this is the outcome I'm looking for and blah, 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 right? 
right. Do you buy into that concept that some of this is just straight out of anger? Look, I know there are people who are exploiting it. They're like, I don't give a shit. And they're right. just going to get mine. I know that. Let's just put them on the table. But a lot of other people are just reactionary in that it's out of anger and frustration. Or do you not buy that argument and say these people uh, just don't care about the movement and yeah, so the heat of the moment, 1992, obviously, I was involved in the L.A. riots because I lived in Inglewood. Uh, mm -hmm. So from a personal perspective, I saw a lot of things, man. And I and growing up in that neighborhood and seeing it on fire in certain spots and, uh, and then having to come to work in law enforcement, I had two different perspectives on that. But I saw anger in the very beginning. People were just angry. Uh, but to your point, anger then with, for, with that small group at the time that becomes angry and acts out. Uh, it turns into something else where you just mentioned people take that as an opportunity uh, to go out and, and just take and, and, and do things that that is not what the original anger was about. And it takes away from the cause altogether. So are there opportunists? You bet. Uh, I'm no fool and none of us are. Uh, and so some of the things we saw on television with respective communities out there was disheartening uh, to see that because you realize that when they came in, but those who came there, were that message to be heard and were angry about what was taking place, those who came out there and took that away from them uh, by going out there destroying and looting, uh, you know, we can all see that that's not the right way to do it, man. And, and that was just opportunist. So again, it saddens me. It was disappointing. Um, and for the people out there that came out to actually demonstrate and protest in the right way, you know, I, I feel for them because if you came out to do it the right way and they took that away from you uh, and your message is lost, then, uh, it's, it's very saddening. It's disappointing to say the least. So. You know, I, I think the outcomes are saddening and disappointing. And and I'm yeah. in agreement with you, but I'm also someone who has to understand. Like I'm a root cause guy. I, I got. Right. I need to understand, right? And so I've come to a place in my life, whether it's my kids or people I like or don't like or whatever, that I'm getting better, but I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> at right. Being able to understand something, but not having to agree with it. Right. Like, helps me actually well condone it but actually allows me to process it and not judge it does that make any sense yes absolutely so i think there's a large middle ground here i forget her name and shame on me but did you see that sister i want to say it was in la in, in, in santa monica who did that great analogy about playing monopoly it was a video about playing monopoly and blacks weren't allowed to actually play monopoly we just had to build the houses and finally they said you could play monopoly and you're going around the board but all the properties already owned did you see that no i didn't see that one Oh, okay. she's great. It was amazing. But she was mad. Like, she was mad. And she goes, and, and she keeps saying, well, all these people are mad at us for burning it down. Well, we don't own any of this fucking shit. It's not ours. And she went right. off. And she goes, as far as I'm concerned, you can burn it all fucking down. Mm. And she was mad. But her argument was pretty foundational, right? And so I think, what do we do with that middle ground? Who are like, they're not thinking like, hey, I know this isn't helping us. They're more like, look, I understand the situation. It's not the first time. No one's listening. And they just don't care. Yeah, I think it goes back to my original comment, man. And that had to do with people that don't have anything anymore. And they're at rock bottom. Their self-esteem is already low. Their confidence is gone. They may have lost their job. They're, you know, they've been laid off. They're, they're collecting unemployment, man. And they're just barely getting by. And in some cases, they're not even able to pay their rent, mortgage, or whatever it might be. And so when you get to that point, and, and this COVID thing, obviously, uh, help to uh, guide us in that direction in terms of haves and have nots. When you get to that point, think about it. Do people really care about what you care about and your assets and protecting something uh, that you have that they don't have? And so that's the dangerous time in society uh, where people that don't have anything get to a point where they're so angry about that, you know, that moment uh, about race or whatever it might be. But aside from that, it's the socioeconomics and where they are in life that, that helped to, to get to that point too. So your point about understanding, I get it. If you have nothing left to fight for, you have nothing to protect, what does it matter uh, if things out there are, are not looking good anymore or the sun is not shining tomorrow and the businesses are looking beautiful when you don't have any stake in that? And quite frankly, you're not a part of that process anymore because you've lost everything or you don't have anything. So definitely understand. It uh, doesn't mean it's always right to, you know, to to take that path. But I understand. So when you say take yourself out of the your own world and put yourself in their shoes and their perspective, I think uh, that's a valid question to ask. So you're right. 
you, you know, it's interesting. You helped me crystallize something. So I want your thoughts on this. So look, I, I bounce between black community and white community and because I'm black, well, I'm half, but most people just think I'm black. Um, although it's more and more Indians come to this country, think people think I'm from India. That's a whole different fucking story. <laughs> but I, I think you helped crystallize something for me here, right? And this is this. Not for those the opportunists. Again, the opportunists who don't care about anything but their own, they're off the table. But right. for, for women like that girl who had amazing, like her synopsis was phenomenal. And then I hear my white friends say, yeah, but it doesn't help the cause. It takes away from the cause. It's hurting us, et cetera. And then you say what you just said, which is beautiful. They don't care about protecting things they don't have. It's not theirs. Right. Right. I think that was the last mile. So I want your thoughts on this. And everybody who's listening who said, yeah, but all this looting is taking away and it's tainting it. This is my – you help me crystallize this. The people who feel that way and are doing this don't believe that anything's going to change anyway. So by doing this, you say, oh, it's tainting it. This has momentum. This prevents change from happening. In their head, this shit's been happening for fucking generations and nothing's changed. And so now you're sitting here saying, oh, if you hadn't done this, BLM would be get us somewhere. And be like, no, it won't. No, it won't. We don't know anything, so we're not worried about the property. And, oh, by the way, if we behave the way you want us to behave, you're still not going to create any change. So fuck you. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I think you, uh, you make a valid point. When Again, when people don't have anything and uh, they're at that, that end, uh, so to speak, where uh, they don't believe things are going to change. And, you know, you look at a lot of young people out there that have not experienced a whole lot of life yet, but they've experienced enough uh, to see – what they don't believe in. And, and when you have that, again, when, when you don't have much and you can't play uh, the Monopoly game, you can't participate in the process because you don't have, I, again, man, it makes it dangerous out there where people just don't care anymore and they're angry, but the anger has, is because they're depressed. Uh, they don't feel like they have a stake in the game. And there's a lot more to it uh, than just angry and, and opportunist and, and things like that. There's a there's a psychology attached to this, too. And when people get to a point psychologically where they just don't care anymore, again, that's a dangerous time. And we should all be paying attention to that to say, where do people that are struggling in life, socioeconomics and in, 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 uh, in other issues and communities, where do they fit in? And, and how do we keep them in the ball game and feeling like they're a part of the process and that their lives do matter? Yeah. And, and I think that's the struggle. Yeah. Dude, it's interesting. How do we do that? And so I'm gonna. So we've sort of talked about cops and in that. And again, we could we could have done three whole podcasts on each one of these topics, right? Yeah. So here's another one, though. So I got that sister. I, I've I could tell you stories about police giving me a hard time, even though I was raised by white folks in white communities. And but I mean, some crazy stories I could tell you. Um, but on the flip side, being a black man in 2020 who grew up in the seventies and early eighties as a young kid, there's tons of opportunity for us. So, I mean, so, so it, sometimes I can't help but wonder how much of the challenges we have is being black and poor very being versus just black. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny you say that I always talk about opportunity uh, for kids out there today. And even though we have more opportunities today for, for people in, in some areas, man, that may not be the case because of the noise that's around them mm -hmm. uh, and temptations and all the other things that exist. Even when I grew up, there was so much in my neighborhood that existed uh, at that time that were temptations and things to give you roadblocks, so to, mm -hmm. so to speak, if you took the candy, uh, if you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. And so yeah. if you weren't careful, uh, you could end up on that roadmap. And, road and this is what I say, too, about that is we all have a responsibility as black men uh, to help out our younger generation uh, of black men and young ladies as well. And I'll give you an example. Defying the odds uh, was a Connecticut Credit Union put this on back in February before all this COVID happened. This young lady from Compton, Latrice McLaughlin, reached out to me and said, Chief, would you will be willing to participate in this defying the odds for these young black uh, youth uh, from the area? And I said, well, what is it about? She said, well, if you can share some insight with them to help them out, to just guide them, we'd appreciate you coming in and serving as a guest speaker. I'm going to bring in other black entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, uh, uh, people who are in the music industry, business industry and what have you. 
engineers, all, all walks of life in terms of professions. She said, I just want you guys to share with them the possibilities uh, to help guide them. And I thought, you know what, Latrice, that's wonderful. And, and I'd love to do it. And I did it. Uh, but it but when you do it for one day for a couple of hours, man, and you're talking to these kids, the question we should be asking is, what else should we be doing uh, to help uh, provide for these young kids? And I can get deep in that area. And I talk about life skills all the time, even as a coach, uh, coaching kids out there and talking to them. But are we preparing our kids for society out there, young black youth, uh, where they have the ability to have confidence to walk into a location and talk about a job uh, and, and, and be articulate enough to uh, express themselves, how to fill out an application, how to balance a checkbook. And I know we don't do that anymore, but you know where I'm going with that. I, I get your point. <laughs> building those skills, man, that, that prepares you for life. And so at the very end of this presentation, we, we taught him how to tie a tie. And I can't even begin to tell you how many young men didn't know how to tie a tie. So mm -hmm. the, what, the things that we grew up with that were fundamentals behind life skills and preparing us to be able to go out into the world besides education, some of those other skill sets, Somewhere along the line, we have lost that, man. So the basics, the basic fundamentals that we make assumptions about that people should know. When I see people coming into my organization, applying for jobs and sitting down for interviews and people of color uh, coming in and I see that they're not prepared in some cases, they, they didn't do the research or they didn't know how to dress or they didn't know how to articulate. Then I'm, I'm sad because then I'm asking myself the question, what have you done to make sure uh, that people have the skill set so they can compete? on any of those levels out there and feel confident in their ability to, to do it. But we don't always do that. So setting up- uh, when you say the we, you mean the black community? Yes, you know, let, let's, yeah, let's make sure our young people are prepared and, and have those skill sets so when they go out, they can compete in the real world. Doesn't mean that you're gonna end up being a CEO of a company, but you, you can at least dream it and you can at least prepare and have some skill sets that puts you in the ball game, that monopoly game you talk about. But if you don't have the skill sets to begin with, uh, you know, me coming out of Inglewood, luckily I was fortunate enough to get a football scholarship. But I look back at the academics too, man, and, and wonder if I could have done better and if I would have had, you know, some different role models to guide me in some of those ways to talk about SATs and, yeah. and ACTs and all those type of things that I wasn't prepared for. And I lost out on an opportunity to go to Northwestern, man, you know, Big Ten school because I wasn't prepared. So although I was successful in that area, I look back and say, well, what is it that I should be doing for young men uh, that are out there uh, that need that guidance, young ladies too, that need that guidance that we're not giving them and that we're, we're not preparing. Why aren't, we? Why aren't we? What is missing? What is the missing link? I, I, I'm not sure if the focus that we're focusing on the shiny object. And when I say that, we're looking at the end result instead of rolling our sleeves up and doing the dirty work in our communities at the at the bottom level and what i mean by that is teaching from a very young age and having programs in place that do that don't just have a program in place that talks about keeping kids out of uh, jail or or keeping them on the right path give them actual skill sets that that can do that for them so are you setting up a class where you're teaching them how to prepare a resume are you setting up a class where you're talking about how to balance a checkbook how to save money what is buying a house mean to you and how to how to how to prepare for those things later in life even if it's just a dream right now how are we better preparing them something as simple as you and i when we were in home economics and we learned how to sit down at a table and put the silverware on each side and how to eat yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and have etiquette when you're going to a table so if i'm sitting with business people and I don't know what to do. Do I feel left out? So therefore, I don't want to do it anymore. And I, mm -hmm. I don't want to participate in that. Or am I confident because I have been taught these things and I understand that entering the business world or that that cold world out there that I need these assets. I need these abilities. But who's out there teaching all of that? And I think that's where we fall short is teaching those basic fundamentals of life and preparation uh, skill sets that we all need. All right, so I'm going deep on this for the last, last <laughs> run on this one, man. So right. I agree with you. So now when I was younger, uh, twenty in my 20s, I volunteered. I don't even remember why I volunteered. So I don't know how I got through my life. But anyways, I volunteered <laughs> to with the Urban League one summer, right? Right. And I took in, in it was in, it was the Urban League in conjunction with um, the AmeriCorps. I don't know if you remember AmeriCorps. It was a yeah. Yeah, it was like basically an internal program where kids from colleges could earn credit and do stuff, sort of like Peace Corps, but in, in America. Right? Okay. 
And right. so um, they sent us a bunch of kids to work with these inner city kids at the uh, Urban League. And we went out into our neighborhood and we painted houses and cleaned up yards and did all free for people. I don't know how they found the people. Anyways, right. um, so me being me, it wasn't just enough to show up and run these crews. I was like, I need to get through to these kids, right? So one of the things I said was we're going to do is that one day we're going to the library and you're okay. going to get a book. We're going to read, right? And I remember this is one kid. He couldn't have been but 13, right? Little of the younger ones in the group. And, and he was... He just had that chip. You know the chip I'm talking right, about. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I was like, look, motherfucker, we're going to get through this shit because I am not, right? And so he's the only one who hasn't picked out a book. And I was like, I got to get through this. Ah, oh, here you go. Here's a book on the Negro Leagues. Why don't you read this? He said, that's right. baseball. I don't like baseball. I'm not touching baseball. I said, but it, you need to learn about the Negro Leagues and the impact we had. He said, ah, oh, that's a white person sport. Mm. And at, Once he said that, I asked him questions. I called his dad and I said, look. This is not a good attitude for your son. This is going to cause some problems. And he, he said, hey, it is, blah, blah, blah. And so this is where I'm going with this story. Mm -hmm. I want your thoughts. When you talk about setting a table and the fork on the left, when you talk about speaking properly, okay, notice where I'm going with this. When you talk about doing a resume, when you, I get the impression that far too many in our community see that as one, either being white and they want no part of that, or Two, don't really believe any of that shit's going to make a difference because of everything that's happened and they don't have a chance anyway. So why the fuck would I spend two minutes trying to work on something that ain't going to make a difference? And so they don't. And so it's, we don't value it. Right. Yeah, I, 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 that would disappoint me, man. That's that's like uh, once again, I use football analogies all the time. But because we've lost six games, we shouldn't practice anymore. And why give a damn? Uh, I fight to the end. And so for these kids out there, I would tell anybody who has a leadership role, if you have the ability to pay it forward in some capacity, even if it's something like you did, and you make the assumption that this young man knew how to read and he was confident in his abilities. But sometimes you got to delve a little bit deeper into great it. Great point. I didn't even know that. Yeah, great point. Right. But but what I, when I'm coaching, man, a lot of times I don't want the kids who have all the uh, the character and the perfect and, and they – they're the, you know, the good kids that have it all together. I want the, you know, as God says, come to me as you are. I want the kids who are down and out and who have some struggles and who may be hard headed and who are difficult to get to because there's something behind that. Yep. There, there's a there's a story behind it. And if you're good enough to figure out and patient enough to work with them to try to figure out how to get to them uh, and teach them some of those skills that we're talking about, because we all need it. We, we all need those skill sets in order to compete whether you want to believe that or not. But it, once you have it, it's up to you how you use it. But if you don't even have them, then you're angry, you're frustrated, your life may lead to something else because you didn't even, you weren't even afforded uh, the skill sets to begin with. And you don't even know what the game is because you don't even know how to, uh, uh, to participate in the game. So I think that's up to us is to really not take no for an answer. Don't get caught up in the, the, the anger and the bugs in the jar where every time somebody's about to, get out of the jar, you pull them back down. Misery loves company. And I'm positive, man. I'm all about the glasses half full. If there's a way to get something accomplished, we're going to figure it out. We're not just, we're not just going to quit. Uh, so I would tell people out there as leaders, don't subscribe to, to saying that, you know, this is the, the white person's way or, uh, you know, I don't believe in that. So why should we even do that? I think that's, you're quitting. You're a quitter. And I think it takes courage to step up to do the hard out there in some cases where it's not so easy and it's going to take some work, but you got to roll your sleeves up and be willing to get dirty and get in there and help these kids out. And sometimes it's not pretty, man. And uh, so I, I, I commend people who really take the time out with kids who are the struggling kids, not the easy ones. We love them too, but the <laughs> struggling kids, right? And if, if you're not willing to do that and make excuses and, and want to uh, quit on these kids, and other people out there for that matter, then just get out of the game. Uh, let somebody else step in that, that has the courage and is willing to, to help them out. And that's where I stand. So bring me your, bring whatever you have. I will take them all along. <laughs> what I have. So I applaud you for that. What I like about you is your focus on the micro and, and each individual person. And I could get better at that. I, I right. was good at it for a while. Then I had all excuses right now. Everybody hear me is all excuses, but I had three daughters and, and, you know, I'm trying to get these three daughters through life. And so I haven't right. done as much as I could on that. So here's my last thought and question, because I want to I appreciate your time. And we're going to end on this because you said something that was really important. And I believe this strongly. Right. Is you talked about leadership again. 
I believe when it comes to the black community, we need a whole new level of leadership. I think we are still too focused or our leadership in, in the, the things that we aspire to from a leadership perspective are too externally focused. We're still trying to fight the civil rights movement, not saying we don't have problems. So all those black people want to lose this shit right now. Shut the fuck up. We have problems. I know we have problems. I know police brutality. I know criminal justice. I will eat you alive on all that knowledge. I know. So stop, stop. But that doesn't, as, as Chief Abel saying, mean or give us an excuse to quit trying until that shit gets fixed because we'll be waiting forever, right? So we have had CEOs in Fortune 500s, men and women. We have black billionaires. Like, we can make it now. Now, it's harder, but we can. But for some reason, Derek, and this is what I want you to expound upon in a second, is we are not, our new leadership is not looking inward. It's not saying, hey, let's go fix our own shit. Like our parents and grandparents got us the Civil Rights Act. It got us the Voting Rights Act. It got us affirmative action. It, it got us um, uh, uh, all that all that stuff. Got it all for us. Now it's not perfect, but we got it. Now let's change our strategy and look inward and say, how do we capitalize on that? Mm-hmm. How do we take what we were given and capitalize on that? Then pick up our head and say, all right, well, we've made a lot of stride, and now we'll go back maybe and fix those last things externally. But we haven't shifted from external to internal focus, from a leadership perspective. What are your thoughts on that? So I, I go back to the analogy of uh, the neighborhood, man. It takes a village. And so you and I, when we grew up in the neighborhood, it wasn't just our parents uh, that helped to role model and guide us and, and lead us. It was the entire neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Everybody was involved. And so when I see the breakdown of communities, uh, when I see young parents becoming grandparents overnight and, and us not figuring out uh, how to lead by example within our own communities, uh, that's the disappointing part because I know we're better than that, man. We have we have so many talented people and so much to offer. And so when you talk about the, the paths that were laid for us, the groundwork of the civil rights era. Uh, again, I asked the question, what have we done since then? And so we all have great stories, man. We're very nostalgic about how we grew up and, and the neighborhoods were wonderful. And, and Miss Johnson down the street, if you did something wrong, she would tell your mama. And by the time you got in the house, mama would have a switch already to tighten you up, man. And when the street lights came on, everybody knew in the neighborhood you needed to be home. And whatever you did in the neighborhood, by the time you got home, somebody down the street told on you, uh, one of the parents, and, and kept you in check because the neighborhood helped to foster that and helped to raise you in that respect and bring about that character uh, that we are all used to and we, uh, we, we, we appreciate it during that time. But some of that has been lost, Keenan, and, and along the way. And I'm not too far removed from my own neighborhoods that I grew up in. And the problem is our parents in that generation, brother, they're tired. They are tired. And so we as the next generation of people out there and the ones even after us, the question is, what have we done to help emulate that? Now, part of that is I understand the information highway and technology and things have changed. But the core of what we should stand for in all respective communities and neighborhoods shouldn't change. That foundation of what we grew up with and what was so right. What, why have we lost that? And why is that no longer important to us? So when you talk about the micro, that's the micro for me, the foundation of where it starts. We all talk about a child being already uh, formulated in terms of their character by the time seven, eight years old. They've already heard. They've already seen yeah. in the household. They've already experienced a lot by that time. And so a child today that, that is experiencing things that may not be the best role modeling even in the household, what are we doing about that? How are we? So we expect at the end for them to be able to compete in these arenas that we're talking about. But if the foundation hasn't been set early on, then I think your expectations are, are clouded, man. And, and and we're beating our heads or banging our heads against the wall with young people out there in terms of what they're able to accomplish. But what have we done to help set that stage and make sure in our respective neighborhoods, it's not just about our kids. It's not just about raising my son or daughter, but that we we actually participate in the development of all the kids in our communities. And for that matter, emulate and role model for the other adults that are there so that we hold each other accountable. And in some cases, we don't even do that. No. Uh, so there's a lot of work. I could talk about a lot of things, man, and uh, professional or personal life. But the bottom line is uh, people out there who are listening, man, if you can 
if you can figure out a way within your own respective neighborhood uh, to have some courage to speak up, even when you may get chastised for calling people out, uh, that's the only way we are going to oh. get back. We got to do it. We, we got we have to do it in our own respective neighborhoods, start from the ground and work our way up. And I think we can all be proud of that because we've started from scratch and built something. But don't have expectations about the end if you haven't done the groundwork. Yeah, I'd like to see our leaders. I'd like to see the churches doing more of this. I like yeah. to see the church leaders doing more. Of this. I'd like to see more of the vocal, outspoken people when they come on and let's say they attack the police system or the justice system. Yes, it should. I'll say it again. Yes, right. it should. But they should also then turn on and say, "But when they go back home and say, look, stop talking about them, Mrs. Jones. What have you done? I saw you sit out there, um, you know, beating someone down to get to uh, get into the gang. I saw this. I saw your son doing this. What? Like we are." We're so focused on what everybody's doing to us right. that we aren't noticing what we're doing to ourselves. Or we're worse off. Worse off. We're accepting it as the as okay because well, look what's going on. I just right. you know we just don't have anything. We can't. We're accepting it, and that's got to stop. It's balance. It's balancing uh, all of what you said. Yes, holding our city leaders accountable, police departments, uh, and every other segment of government uh, accountable. But within your own respective neighborhoods and your communities, are you holding Yourself the people in your community accountable as well? And I think that's where we've fallen short, man. And, uh, so we, we got to find some balance. We got to bring back that balance. And I think uh, if you're listening out there, uh, take it upon yourself in your own respective neighborhood. Start something where you're not only holding people accountable, but you're giving people hope by giving them the skill sets and the tools to be successful, but you got to come to the table and whatever you have, you know, this is what I say to people too, man, all of us can have degrees posted on our walls and, you know, all of us have bachelors and masters and some with PhDs, but if it only sits on a wall and it does nothing other than that, then you know what? I got news for you, man. I, I'm tired of looking at pictures on the wall. What are you doing with that information that you stored up for years and how are you sharing that with others uh, to help them in the success? If you're better than me at the end, and I've helped you to be successful and you take the baton and you lead the way, man, I'm happy. Uh, it's not about me. It's about paying it forward and making sure that you shared in someone's life to make it better for all of us. And if we're, if we're really true and honest about that, then you will sacrifice self for the sake of others. And that's what it's about for me. So yeah. Dude, that I absolutely love that message of individual accountability. So as we wrap up, I want to make sure that I, I have to say this at the end of living in the world that I live in, and I'm sure you see this too dark, but I won't speak for you. And being as passionate as I am for, for the black community, being a brother, I've experienced it. I always have to say this. Everything Derek and I just said about the black community is accurate. We got our own problems. We got to fix shit. We're not holding each other accountable. We're not teaching that shit home. All of it's true. And we got to fix it. But white people, don't you dare start saying that's the problem, which you do. You start trying to tell us that we need to fix our problem rather than focusing on your problem of racism. Your problem is supporting systematic racism, your willful ignorance of not understanding the programs, policies and procedures, et cetera, that you support, the people you support, that in downhill stream, the issues that make it hard for us to get our shit together. So we'll, Derek and I are OK in front of mostly white listeners, I'm pretty sure, airing our dirty laundry and saying what we got to do. That is not a license for you to co-opt that and start using that as the reason things are broken. You've got your own shit in your house, people not, not of color, and police, you got your own shit in your house you need to fix. The message I like here, and I'll let Derek have last word, is if all of us stop focusing on everybody else's shit and focus on your own and understanding how your shit affects the other two pieces, we might actually make some progress. Derek? Final word. Yes, sir. I will say this, man. We cannot live in glass houses. Uh, we all have a responsibility in this, uh, no matter what the, the color of your skin is or, or where you originate from, we all have a responsibility. And so if you own up to it and you're honest with yourself, and as you said, Keenan, you take a look at self before you start pointing fingers at others, I think what you may find is, is uh, you need to do a little bit of soul searching yourself. And we all do. Uh, and as I said, I fall short of the glory of God every day, man. And I have to account for what I do each and every day. And can I go home and look myself in the mirror, knowing that I did the right thing that day when the when the opportunity existed and I didn't shy away from it. 
And I would ask everyone else out there that question. Doesn't matter what race you are, but how are you participating in this conversation, not pointing fingers, but holding yourself accountable and coming to the table with solutions, but be willing to be naked. And what I mean by that is come clean. Uh, we all have some baggage in life. And if you're not willing to come clean, then how do you expect people to trust you and, and want you to participate in that conversation uh, when you when you live in that glass house? So let's be better than that, all of us, because uh, we all have an opportunity to, to do something better right now in 2020 that maybe hasn't been done in quite some time. Are we willing to step into the game or are we going to quit and walk away uh, because nobody is allowing us to play with the ball? Derek, man, that was a pure fire finish. Um, I'm going to want to get you back on again. Because I <laughs> think I, this is more than a one-hour conversation. Would you, not, would you not agree? I'm good with it, man. <laughs> you know my availability, so if you can get me. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to keep yes, trying. Sir. It's going to be anytime soon, but maybe the next couple of months. Yes, right? sir. In six months. But we're going to get you on again because I think there's a lot more we can do with this. So, listen, my brother, I cannot – Thank you enough. This was straight fire. Your insight, man, is exactly what we need more of from all angles, too. I mean, your level of humility, your understanding of the problem, your experience as a black man born in 1965, your experience as a police chief. I mean, I, I know you know this, and that's why you do what you do. But I want the people listening to understand that you represent all these perspectives and, and can show that they can all work together, that they're not mutually exclusive, that they actually all work together and more people need to see more of that so each individual group can get more confident that this actually can be solved. So yeah. I, I can't thank you enough, D, for coming on. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. I, uh, your passion, man, is uh, extraordinary. And we need more people like you that are willing to come out and tell it like it is, man. So I appreciate you. Uh, stay strong. Keep on uh, fighting the fight, man, for the world. Uh, not just United States and what we're dealing with, but right now everybody's watching us. We are the beacon. We are hopefully the role models that should be leading the way. But uh, we got to do better than what we're doing, man. So keep doing what you're doing. Much appreciated. I promise. I will. I will. And I, I'm living on the strand and y'all are closing down the beach. So I have to stroll off my front step a little and I get arrested. I'm telling them I know you. I'm like, no, no, call me. Call me. And we're going to find you first, man. I'm going to make sure, gonna make sure we find you. It's all good, man. I hope I pray to God this weekend, man. Let me just say this to, our, to our people out there in Manhattan Beach, if they're listening. You know, work with us. Lord knows that we're all in this together, man. And I don't want to see anybody uh, get sick from this this COVID and and uh and us not participate in good, healthy ways to make sure that we're taking care of each other. So facial coverings, do what we have to do to help each other out. And uh, and we're all in this too. We got a role model the way here at the PD to make sure we're doing the same thing. But uh, across the world out there, and especially here in the U.S. Please, people, make sure we're doing the right thing so that we can protect each other. I know that some of our uh, livelihood and fun uh, has been taken away to some degree, that quality of life. But the more important thing is to be alive, to be able to talk about it in the future and learn from it. And if we don't share in the, these opportunities right now to to uh, have those safety uh, measures in place by wearing the facial coverings, the, the six feet apart and all those things that will help us then we're doing ourselves a disservice, man. So please help us. Everybody help us to help you to help us. And I think we're going to be all right in this. So Dude, thank you, partner. We got you. We got you. All right, baby, be good. And I'll talk with you soon. And yes, sir. Uh, good luck th th through this weekend. I'm sure I will see you somewhere. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Much love, man. You take care. All right, you too, brother. All right, boss. All right. Peace, y'all. I'm out. Thank you very much, peeps. Y'all have been listening to Keenan Live, where we talk to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. Look, you can find us in any dope place where you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitches. We're everywhere. Go check us out, and please subscribe if you like this. Also, if you want to watch, you want to see the video of this live event, Go to YouTube, Keenan Live at YouTube, and you can watch it all. All right, y'all. Thanks a bunch. You know what I'm going to say. Till next time. Peace. I'm out.